0: Section forty-five of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume Two: The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Thirteen: Henry the Eighth by James Gardner, Part Two. The preponderance in Europe which seemed to be secured to charles by the treaty of madrid alarmed not only the king of england it was generally believed however that francis on regaining his liberty neither would nor could allow himself to be bound by provisions to which he had no right to assent without consulting the estates of his realm and the duchy of burgundy the italian powers accordingly looked anxiously to francis and on account of francis not less anxiously to henry england was strong and even stronger than she had been the only active pretender to henry's throne richard de la pole self-styled duke of suffolk white rose as his followers called him had been slain at the battle of pavia fighting for francis moreover the duke of albany had left scotland for the last time he accompanied francis to italy and but for the event of pavia would have gone on to naples so that the french party in scotland was overpowered and though there were changes enough in that country none of them were injurious to english interests henry was powerful and no prince was held in higher esteem special gifts had been conferred upon him by three successive popes a golden rose by julius the second a sword and cap by leo x besides the title of defender of the faith and another golden rose by clement the seventh he was also still highly popular at home for his subjects did not impute their heavy taxation to him one thing indeed he did at this time which was disagreeable to his own queen he had a bastard son six years old whom in june fifteen twenty five he created duke of richmond assigning him at the same time a special household and lands as if for a legitimate prince but this apparently did not greatly abate his popularity and it seems to have been partly to conciliate public opinion that wolsey in that year handed over to the king the magnificent palace he had built at hampton court as too grand to belong to a subject it was on March 17, 1526, that Francis was released and reached Bayonne. That same day, he took the English ambassador Taylor in his arms, expressing warm gratitude to Henry, and, soon after, he dispatched Vaux once more to England, with his ratifications of the Treaties of the Moor. On May 22, after Francis had reached Cognac, ambassadors of the Pope the venetians and the duke of milan made an alliance with the french king against the emperor henry who had confirmed his own treaty with francis at greenwich on april twenty nine was not a party to this league of cognac but he was strongly solicited to join it by the italian powers indeed a special place was reserved for him in the treaty itself as protector and conservator of the alliance if he chose to join it with a principality in naples as an additional attraction but he and wolsey only dallied with the confederates insisting on various modifications of the treaty while the others were already committed to hostilities in italy meanwhile the confederacy moved on to its ruin which was completed at the sack of rome francis naturally desired to obtain from the emperor the best terms he could for redeeming his sons wolsey however had from the first endeavoured to keep him from any kind of agreement assuring him that he was in no wise bound by the treaty of madrid and hinting that a match with the princess mary would be more suitable for him than one with the emperor's sister Eleanor, whom by that treaty he had engaged to marry and though the bait did not take immediately for francis as his own ministers said was ready to marry the emperor's mule to recover his sons the emperor still insisted on such intolerable conditions that francis at last desired an offensive alliance with england by which he might either dictate terms or redeem his sons by war an embassy with this view headed by des grammont bishop of tarbes came to england in february fifteen twenty seven the ambassadors were long in negotiation with wolsey who insisted first on a new treaty of perpetual peace with a heavy tribute from france and after all his demands were conceded coolly told them that if the emperor would not release the princes without francis marrying eleanor the king recommended him to do so three treaties were at last signed on april thirty and after the bishop of tarbes had gone back to france and returned again another was concluded on may twenty nine for maintaining a joint army in italy but there were still matters to be settled for which henry desired a personal interview with francis this the french did not favor but said that wolsey would be welcome in france as his master's representative and francis himself wrote that he would go to picardy to meet him the king is said to have alleged later though there is no sufficient proof of the truth of the story that during this embassy the bishop of tarbes had expressed a doubt concerning the princess mary's legitimacy as her mother catherine had been the wife of prince arthur her father's brother it was the king himself who was now contemplating a divorce on this plea although no one yet knew it as a first step in may he allowed himself to be cited in private before wolsey as legate and called upon to justify his marriage nothing came of this proceeding except that on june twenty two henry shocked his wife by telling her that they must part company as he found by the opinion of divines and lawyers that they had been living in sin he desired her however to keep the matter secret for the present and wolsey on his way to france persuaded both archbishop warham and bishop fisher that the king was only trying to answer objections raised by the bishop of tarbes Wolsey himself however did not know all the king's mind upon the subject when after landing at calais in july he proceeded through france with a more magnificent train than ever not as ambassador but as his king's lieutenant to a meeting with francis at amiens on this matter he believed he was commissioned not only to hint that catherine would be divorced but also to put forward a project for marrying the king to Renee, daughter of louis the twelfth this would of course have knit firmer the bond between henry and francis against the emperor who was catherine's nephew but in france he was instructed to keep back quote, the king's secret matter or only to intimate it very vaguely and during the whole of his stay there which extended to two months and a half he did not venture to say anything definite upon the subject another matter however helped to strengthen the case for a union against the emperor a month before wolsey crossed the channel news had reached england that rome had been sacked and the pope shut up in the castle of st angelo at canterbury wolsey ordered a litany to be sung for the imprisoned pope but considered how he could best utilize the incident for the king's advantage at amiens on august 18, three new treaties were made which henry and francis ratified forthwith and among other things it was settled that mary should be married to the duke of orleans instead of to francis and that no brief or bull should be received during the pope's imprisonment but that whatever should be determined by the clergy of england and france in the meantime should be valid it was also agreed what terms should be demanded of the emperor by the two kings and meanwhile an english detachment under sir robert jerningham was sent to join the french commander lautrec in an italian expedition for the pope's delivery before wolsey returned from france he had made the discovery that the king's real object in seeking a divorce had not been imparted to him and that henry was pursuing it independently it was not a french princess whom henry designed to place in catherine's room but one anne boleyn daughter of sir thomas boleyn a simple knight who had only been created a viscount by the title of roquefort in fifteen twenty five the elder sister of this lady had already been seduced by the king but she herself had resisted till she was assured of the crown and henry persuaded himself that all that was required for his marriage with anne Boleyn was a dispensation for a case of near affinity created by illicit intercourse with her sister for he did not in this first phase of the question maintain, as he afterwards did, that cases like that of Catherine could not be dispensed for at all. He maintained that the dispensation procured for his marriage with Catherine was technically insufficient, and that the marriage was consequently ipso facto invalid. He, accordingly, while Wolsey was still in France, dispatched Dr. Knight, his secretary, to Italy, on pretenses that did not satisfy the cardinal and knight performed his mission with great dexterity according to his instructions he arrived at rome while the pope was still in confinement and though it was hopeless to procure an interview found means to convey to him the draft dispensation desired by the king and obtained a promise that it should be passed when he was at liberty not long after the pope escaped to orvieto where knight obtained from him in effect a document such as he was instructed to ask for but unfortunately it was absolutely useless for the king's purpose until he should be declared free of his first marriage and knight's mission had no effect except to open the eyes of the pope and cardinals to henry's real object meanwhile france and england Having become the closest possible allies, the two sovereigns elected each other into their respective orders of St. Michael and the garter, and their heralds Guillain and Clarenceau jointly declared war upon the emperor at Burgos on January 22, 1528. On this, the English merchants in Spain were arrested, and it was rumored that the heralds were arrested also in return for which wolsey actually imprisoned for a time the imperial ambassador mendoza this war was extremely unpopular in england a french alliance indeed was generally hateful especially against the emperor who was regarded as a natural ally the mart for english wolves was removed from antwerp to calais trade was interrupted both with the low countries and spain and this added to the effect of bad harvests at home produced severe distress cloth lay on the merchant's hands unsalable, and the clothiers of the eastern counties were obliged to discharge their spinners carters and tuckers the state of matters became in fact intolerable and a commercial truce was arranged with flanders from the beginning of may to the end of february following the expedition of lautrec and jerningham in italy very successful in the spring proved completely disastrous in the following summer plague carried off the two commanders and the defection of andrea doria completed the ruin of the allied forces after knight's failure wolsey addressed himself to the real difficulty in attaining the king's object and dispatched his secretary stephen gardiner with edward fox to persuade the pope to send a legate commissioned jointly with wolsey to try in england the question whether the dispensation to marry catherine was sufficient the commission desired was a decretal one setting forth the law by which judgment should proceed and leaving the judges to ascertain the facts and pass judgment without appeal this was resisted as unusual and the ambassadors were obliged to be satisfied with a general commission which fox took home to england believing it to be equally efficacious his report seems to have convinced the king and anne boleyn that their object was as good as gained but wolsey saw that the commission was insufficient and he instructed gardiner to press again by every possible means for a decretal commission even though it should be secret and not to be employed in the process otherwise his power over henry was gone and utter ruin hung over him as having deceived the king about the pope's willingness to oblige him urged in this way the pope with a very great reluctance gave for wolsey's sake precisely what was asked for a secret decretal commission not to be used in the process but only to be shown to the king and wolsey and then to be destroyed he also gave a secret promise in writing not to revoke the commission which was not to be used this secret commission was entrusted to campeggio the legate sent to england as wolsey's colleague to try the cause with strict injunctions not to let it go out of his hands. Campeggio suffered severely from gout, and his progress to England was slow and tedious. He reached London on October 7, prostrated by illness, but he had the full command of the business, and Wolsey found, to his dismay, that he had no means of taking it out of his hands. Moreover, campeggio had promised the pope before leaving not to give sentence without reference to him he tried first to dissuade the king from the trial then to induce the queen to accept an honorable release by entering a convent both attempts he found hopeless the queen was as determined as the king and was supported by general sympathy out of doors the women particularly cheering her wherever she went on november eighth the king declared to the lord mayor and aldermen at bridewell the reasons for his conduct imputing as before to the french ambassadors the first doubts of his marriage but before matters had come to a trial catherine showed campeggio a document which seemed to make the validity of the marriage unimpeachable it was a copy of a brief preserved in spain by which julius the second had given at the earnest request of queen isabella a full dispensation for the marriage assuming that the previous marriage with arthur had really been consummated the king and wolsey were seriously perplexed they put forth reasons for believing the brief to be a forgery and urged the queen herself as if in her own interest to write to the emperor to send it to england the object however was too plain and though under positive compulsion she did write as requested her messenger as soon as he reached spain took care to inform the emperor that she had written against her will the king was now living under one roof with anne boleyn having given her a fine suite of apartments next to his own at greenwich and was quite infatuated in his passion only awaiting an authoritative pronouncement that should allow him to marry. Early in February 1529, his prospects seemed to be changed by a false report of the death of Clement Seventh. But the Pope, after being really very ill, recovered slowly in the spring, and was no sooner again fit for business than he was pestered by English agents, with demands to declare the brief in Spain a forgery the attempt to discredit the brief however was at last abandoned and the king and wolsey determined to commence the trial and push it on as fast as possible for fear of some arrest of the proceedings good reasons had already been given at rome by the imperial ambassador for revocation of the cause but the pope declined to interfere with the hearing before the legates The court was formally opened accordingly at Blackfriars on May 31, when citations were issued to the king and queen to appear on June 18. On that day, the queen appeared in person before the legates, and objected to their jurisdiction. This objection being considered, on the 21st, the legates pronounced themselves to be competent judges, whereupon the queen intimated an appeal to the pope and withdrew after some touching words addressed to the king in court being called again and refusing to return she was pronounced contumacious and the trial went on but an incident at the fifth sitting which was on the twenty-eighth astonished everyone. john fisher bishop of rochester a lover of books who commonly avoided public life said that the king at a former sitting had professed justice to be his only aim and had invited every one who could throw light upon the subject to relieve his scruples he therefore felt bound in duty to show the conclusion which he had reached after two years careful study which was that the marriage was indissoluble by any authority divine or human and he presented a book which he had composed on the subject he was followed by standish bishop of st asaph and dr ligum dean of the arches who maintained the same view the legates remonstrated rather mildly that fisher was pronouncing in a cause which was not committed to him and the king composed but probably did not deliver a very angry speech in reply addressed to the judges The court went on, taking evidence chiefly about the circumstances of Prince Arthur's marriage, till July 23, when Campeggio prorogued it to October 1. Shortly afterwards arrived an intimation that the cause was advoked to Rome, and all further proceedings must be prosecuted there. This the imperialists had procured on the queen's demand for justice, which the pope could not resist, and Henry saw that it was a death-blow to his expectations. The fall of Wolsey was now inevitable. From the first, the business of the divorce had been a source of intense anxiety to him, knowing, as he did, that if he failed to give the king satisfaction, his ruin would be easily achieved by the leading lords who had been so long excluded from the king's councils, And now that the failure was complete, he was visibly out of favour but the king was too well aware of his value not to desire his advice about many things even now and there was one matter in particular in which his guiding hand had scarcely completed his work the king indeed had intended to send him to Cambrai to assist in a european settlement if the trial could have been got over soon enough but bishop tunstall and sir thomas moore were sent in his place by the treaty of Cambrai, signed on august five the state of war between francis and the emperor was ended the conditions of the treaty of madrid were at length modified and francis was permitted to redeem his sons without parting with burgundy it was undoubtedly the Emperor's fear of England that secured these favourable conditions for France, and France had in return to take upon herself all the Emperor's liabilities to Henry. The English also made their own separate treaties at Cambrai, both with the Emperor and with Francis. But through the influence of Anne Boleyn, Wolsey was presently excluded from the King's presence and ultimately. HE FOUND HIMSELF CUT OFF FROM ALL COMMUNICATION WITH HIS SOVEREIGN. ON OCTOBER 9, THE FIRST DAY OF Michaelmas TERM, HE TOOK HIS SEAT AS CHANCELLOR FOR THE LAST TIME IN WESTMINSTER HALL. THAT DAY AN INDICTMENT WAS PREFERRED AGAINST HIM IN THE KING'S BENCH, AND THE THIRTIETH OF THE SAME MONTH WAS APPOINTED FOR HIS TRIAL. BUT MEANWHILE HE WAS MADE TO SURRENDER THE GREAT SEAL, and to execute a curious deed in which he confessed the premonire of which he was afterwards found guilty and desired the king to take all his land and property in part compensation for his offences this he did not because the premonire was just but only in the hope of avoiding a parliamentary impeachment which nevertheless was brought forward in the house of lords but was thrown out in the Commons by the exertions of his dependent Thomas Cromwell. For a new Parliament had been called after an interval of six years, and the session had been opened by Sir Thomas More, who had just been appointed Lord Chancellor in Wolsey's place. The elections had been unduly influenced, and the commons were so subservient that one of their acts was expressly to release the king from repayment of the forced loan, for which, as may be imagined, they incurred general ill-will. They also sent up a host of bills to the lords, attacking abuses connected with probates, mortuaries and other matters of spiritual jurisdiction, and also against clerical pluralities and non-residents, bishop fisher thought it right to protest in the house of lords against the spirit and tendency of such legislation and because he had pointed to the example of bohemia as a kingdom ruined by lack of faith the speaker and thirty of the commons were deputed to complain to the king that fisher seemed to regard them as no better than turks and infidels it may be suspected that they were prompted for henry was certainly glad of the opportunity of calling on the bishop to explain himself on the breaking up of the legatine court the king had been just about to give up further pursuit of a divorce as hopeless and in that belief he had sought to get the cause superseded at rome that he might not be summoned out of his own realm but in august when he visited waltham abbey in a progress he was told of a suggestion made by one Thomas Cranmer, a private tutor who had been there just before, having been driven from Cambridge by an epidemic, that he might still get warrant enough for treating his marriage as invalid by procuring a number of opinions to that effect from English and foreign universities. He at once caught at the idea, and relied on the friendship of Francis to procure what he wanted on the other side of the channel. In the beginning of the year, 1530, when the Emperor had gone to Bologna to be crowned by the Pope, Anne Boleyn's father, who had recently been created Earl of Wiltshire, and Dr. Stokesley, Bishop-Elect of London, were sent thither with a commission to treat for a universal peace and a general alliance against the Turk. That was the pretext, and no doubt aid against the turks would then have been particularly valuable to the emperor seeing that they had got fast hold of hungary and had quite recently besieged vienna but the main object was to explain to charles with great show of cordiality now that the two sovereigns were friends again the manifold arguments against the validity of henry's marriage with his aunt and with this purpose in view Stokesley, on his way through France, strove to quicken the process of getting opinions from French universities. The decisions, even of the English universities, were only obtained in March and April, under what pressure it is needless to say. The mere purpose of the proceedings raised the indignation of the women of Oxford, who pelted with stones Bishop Longland, the Chancellor, and his companion, when they came to obtain the seal of the university." no wonder therefore that when wiltshire arrived at bologna in march no french university had been induced to pronounce a judgment his mission in truth was anything but a success and it is hard to see that much could have been expected of it for the pope just before his coming had issued a bull dated march seven committing the king's cause to Capisucci, auditor of the rota which after his arrival was followed by another on the twenty-first, forbidding all ecclesiastical judges or lawyers from speaking or writing against the validity of the marriage. Worse still, Wiltshire's presence gave opportunity to serve him as Henry's representative with a summons for his master to appear in person or by deputy before the tribunal at Rome. The Pope, however, offered to suspend the cause till September if henry would take no further step till then and the king accepted the offer wolsey meanwhile had been living at esher in a house belonging to him as bishop of winchester whither on his disgrace he was ordered to withdraw but his enemies fearing lest the king should again employ his services were anxious that he should be sent to his other and more remote northern diocese and an arrangement was made in february fifteen thirty by which he received a general pardon resigning to the king for a sum of ready money the bishopric of winchester and the abbey of st albans while the possessions of his archbishopric of york were restored to him he began his journey north early in lent paused at peterborough over easter and spent the summer at southwell a seat of the archbishops of york where he was intensely mortified to learn that the king had determined to dissolve two colleges the one at ipswich and the other at oxford of which he had brought about the establishment with great labor and cost for this object as early as fifteen twenty four he had procured bulls to dissolve certain small monasteries and apply their revenues to his new foundations and the obloquy he had incurred from other causes was certainly increased by the dissolution of those houses indeed in fifteen twenty five a riot took place at bayham in sussex where a company in disguise restored though only for a few days the extruded cannons the ipswich college was suppressed by the king at oxford however The buildings had advanced too far to be stopped, and the work was completed on a less magnificent design. After Wolsey's death, the king called it King Henry VIII's College. It is now known as Christ Church. In the autumn, Wolsey moved further north, and, reaching Cawood by the beginning of November, at length hoped to be installed in his own Cathedral of York on the 7th but on the fourth he was visited by the earl of northumberland who suddenly notified to him his arrest on a charge of treason his italian physician agostini had been bribed by the duke of norfolk to betray secret communications which he had held with the french ambassador de vaux and the charge was added that he had urged the pope to excommunicate the king and so cause an insurrection unconscious of this he was conducted to sheffield where at the earl of shrewsbury's house he was alarmed to learn that sir william kingston had been dispatched to bring him up to london as sir william was constable of the tower wolsey now perceived that his execution was intended and sheer terror brought on an illness of which he died on the way at leicester so passed away the great cardinal the animating spirit of whose whole career is expressed in the sad words he uttered at the last that if he had served god as diligently as he had served the king he would not have given him over in his gray hairs conspicuous beyond all other victims of royal ingratitude he had strained every nerve to make his sovereign great wealthy and powerful His devotion to the king had undoubtedly interfered with his spiritual duties as a churchman. It was not until his fall that he was able to give any care to his episcopal function. The new career, so soon terminated, showed another and a more amiable side in his character. That he might have been happy if unmolested, even when stripped of power, there is little reason to doubt. Yet his was a soul that loved grandeur and display, magnificent in building and in schemes for education. He was ambitious, no doubt, and it might be high-handed, as the agent of a despotic master, but with nothing mean or sordid in his character. And something of ambition might surely be condoned in one whose favour the greatest princes of Europe were eager to secure, FOR WITH A PENETRATING GLANCE HE SAW THROUGH ALL THEIR DIFFERENT AIMS AND DEVICES. THE glamour OF EXTERNAL GREATNESS NEVER IMPOSED UPON HIM, AND WHATEVER BRIBES OR TRIBUTES MIGHT BE OFFERED TO HIMSELF, HIS SPLENDID POLITICAL ABILITIES WERE DEVOTED WITH SINGLE-MINDED AIM TO THE SERVICE OF HIS KING AND COUNTRY. HE RAISED ENGLAND FROM THE RANK OF A SECOND-RATE POWER AMONG THE NATIONS. HIS FAULTS INDEED ARE NOT TO BE DENIED impure as a priest and unscrupulous in many ways as a statesman he was only a conspicuous example in these things of a prevailing moral corruption but his great public services fruitful in their consequences even under the perverse influences which succeeded him would have produced yet nobler results for his country if his policy had been left without interference End of section 45 Recording by Linda Johnson